Hello and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Baroker and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Andrea Pearson. And I'm Joe Lalo. Our topic for today's show is criticism. How do you deal with it? How do you get out of a funk if it's harsh? When can it be helpful? And when should it be ignored as much as possible? And obviously we all are going to have different answers to the question. So I don't know how helpful it will be, but hopefully you'll get something out of it. At the least, you will probably feel like, oh, they feel that way too. That's encouraging to know. Um, Just for new listeners, we have been in the business now, all of us, for over 10 years and are full-time authors. So before we jump into the topic, um, how are you guys doing? You want to say anything before we jump in? We didn't really talk about having a news section this week. I'm doing pretty good. (laughs) Excellent. Joe, you too? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I'm, I'm 20,000 words into the current project and, and you know, hitting quotas. All and right. I'm in the middle of launch week for Dr. Lincoln. So that's been fun. Excellent. Well, maybe we'll do a more of an update next week, but I guess we kind of wrote down a lot of notes here. <laughs> we had a lot to say on being criticized. So we will just jump in uh, to start things off, you know, just talk, the types of criticism there are and that we're going to talk a little bit about are just solicited criticism, unsolicited criticism, and then sort of public and private versions of those. So for the first question, guys, how do you deal with solicited criticism, such as from an instructor or a beta reader or a peer at a workshop? I don't. I usually take my pages and throw them at them. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay. Um, I breathe deeply, honestly. Um, so in the beginning, it was a lot harder. It's a lot easier now once you have a more trusted relationship with your, you know, the people that you are working with then, and you know that they, they care for you and that they've recognized that you're a good author. It, that helps a lot. But starting out, um, recognizing that I asked them for help is a good step. And then most authors are two personalities in one. So the first is the book, my, the book, the first one is my book is amazing. And the other half is my book sucks. And all of us have this in, a, in us. So approach receiving fit, feedback with a mix of the two. Recognize that nothing you create on your own when it comes to books is going to be perfectly perfect right out of the gate. I would say nothing you create on your own is going to be perfect. But then there's going to be artists who are like, well, that art, I mean, Mona Lisa was perfect. <laughs> so nothing you create on your own when it comes to books is going to be perfect right out the gate. Also recognize that some of the advice you'll receive won't be right. You'll get criticisms that aren't accurate. Not even just criticisms, like just feedback from genuine people, even people you trust um, that aren't quite accurate for something you're already amazing at. In the beginning, it's really hard to recognize uh, when something is right or wrong, especially if they've hit on, or sorry, especially depending on your grasp of storytelling and grammar. Um, Go with your instinct. If you feel like they've hit on something big, investigate that. And then don't be afraid to ignore anything that doesn't feel right or research and find out if it is right, but was presented in the wrong way. Um, All of that said, humility is a huge virtue to develop for any solicited criticism and even unsolicited. Uh, And so, and so is the ability not to argue and you're going to, I mean, don't argue, even if you're, it's your editor, don't just don't argue. (laughs) Sometimes it's okay to clarify, but if someone is confused over something they're reading, either a, it's not their genre or B, you didn't explain it well enough. Um, Air on the side of B to start with and figure out how to word something better. I have had times when I, I went to a book club or not a book club, you know, what are those called? authors group thingy. And I brought a sci-fi novel to it and they were all romance authors and they were like, what's going on? (laughs) I was like, okay, not your genre. So, but when I took it to sci-fi and fantasy authors, they, they had no problem with it. And so just recognize sometimes your audience, even if you trust them, even if they're as solicited, sometimes they don't always get everything. And, and then, but also recognize that sometimes you just need to clarify a little bit. For me, I have a complicated relationship with uh, solicited criticism. Uh, for the most part, my beta readers have given me feedback as text chats, uh, and I make notes, and we discuss different points. It, sometimes some of the more pro folks will, will give me, you know, I'll, I'll give them the document, they'll give me with comments. But in general, I end up, I'm getting my feedback via discussion. Uh, I ask questions about the stuff I'm concerned about. They tell me their main thoughts. I try not to discuss my concerns until after they've told me theirs so that I don't flavor their opinion you'd be surprised how many times something that seems like a glaring fault to you and something that you think they're going to point out immediately is never noticed even after a book's been out for years like you are always very aware of aspects of the book that you're in in, uh, um, 
insecure about um, and that probably the insecurity is not necessary. But uh, with my beta readers, about 60% of the feedback that you give me, uh, I end up agreeing with immediately and just addressing. Like, yep, you're absolutely right. That's a plot hole. Let me fix that. Another 30% is stuff I disagree with and just toss out. Like, eh, nah. I'm not, I don't usually don't tell them, by the way. <laughs> I'm, I'm skipping out on that. Uh, but then there's 10% that leads to tense discussion. Like Andrea said, don't argue. I have argued a lot. <laughs> My readers, it's, you're correct. Don't do it. But I do it. Uh, it's on the little long list of things you shouldn't do that I do. Uh, and it's it's like, you know, it could be completely arbitrary. Like, neither of us should be arguing about it. Like, I don't think anyone would say tee-hee in that situation. Well, tee-hee when spoken aloud is a universal indicator. The speaker knows they're being naughty. Or, you know, cycle that for 45 minutes. My entire, uh, my entire writing career has been a slow journey toward adding that last 10% of contentiousness into the other two categories. It's okay to disregard any and all criticism, honestly, if you want to. I mean, it's your book. Uh, it might hurt the final product, but if you really don't, don't agree with anything that they tell you, then you can throw it all out and, and hope that you were correct. Um, you probably shouldn't disregard everything, but you know, locking your knees and refusing to budge is kind of silly. Uh, because your critic, you, you, you don't win. Like if you have an argument with somebody who doesn't like something about your book, nobody gets any points when that, when that argument is over. So just don't, don't bother. It's a waste of your time. Uh, worth pointing out, you should probably keep track of the things that were contentious, whether or not you keep them or throw them away or whether or not you felt like arguing about them or you did argue about them, keep track of what they were, because if they turn out to be criticisms in reviews as well, uh, then chances are your beta reader was onto something. And next time you get into a discussion where you think they might be wrong, keep in mind they were right about that one. Sort of, it adds to their beta reader score. Um, so I guess maybe someone does win <laughs> in that situation. But yeah, that's that's my thoughts on this. I've definitely had the experience where I feel like maybe these three things are the major weaknesses of this manuscript and I'm not sure how to fix them yet. So I send it whole thing off to the beta readers and none of them say anything about those three things, but they come up with their own things and you're like, really? I didn't really think that was a problem. So yeah, I, I do find it helpful to get that exterior feedback. And uh, my process is uh, I originally found my beta readers, beta readers via workshops and then later from my fan base, from people who I got to know through a forum. And I'm careful about who I've picked. I've been working from, with the same people now for like seven or eight years. And I like a mix of people with, a, you know, one person has like a really strong editing background and has a good eye for, obviously, as an editor, the things that story, character, uh, you know, things that are good you know make a good story I, I guess you would say and then the other people are readers more and they but they have their own fields of ex expertise often in areas where I'm lacking <laughs> so it's really helpful to be able to say hey you know did I get the medical stuff right in this <laughs> to someone who actually works in that field and has their training in that and uh, these people are also folks that aren't just going to say this is good and make me feel better. <laughs> if anything, I don't get much of that. And it can be a little hard on the ego sometimes. And you, sometimes you're like, okay, I didn't, I send it to them because I want to make it better, not because I want my ego stroked. That's not why I picked them. So as far as the actual process, I send them the manuscript and then they send it back with inline comments and sometimes also bigger picture stuff in an email. I try very hard not to argue with them or say anything beyond like thanks or Ideally, thanks. And yeah, maybe I do need to address X point when I go over this again. Um, I will say that I, I do push back with my editor because that's a little different because I actually have to go back and forth on the manuscript. So if I totally blew her off, she's going to see it when she gets the manuscript back, right? So, uh, and my, my editor is a good sport, but I know she must roll her eyes every time I, I whip out the uh, royal order of adjectives to back up the fact that I do not need a comma right there. Um, but I, I don't know. I guess it's better to have somebody that kind of knows stuff than knows nothing. <laughs> or as one of those writers is like, oh, the editor will just fix everything. I don't, I don't know. I'm not the, the editor. So who knows how they, they actually feel about that kind of thing. Um, I, I, but I know myself, I did a lot of lots of critiquing of other people's work in my workshop days. And nothing put me off more than getting a big defensive and argumentative email back from the recipient. <laughs> it's like, hey, I gave you my thoughts and attempt to help you try to possibly improve your work. You're supposed to take what you can use and discard the rest. I'm not here to debate you and I'm probably not going to edit or uh, critique your work again. 
Um, as far as as an author, knowing what to use and what to discard, that can be pretty tough. Sometimes something just isn't going to be feasible because something they brought up would require basically rewriting the book into an entirely different story. And chances are, if you're past your first novel or two, you're not going to do that, especially if you have the pre-order up already. Um, but one of the good things about having had the same beta readers for a long time as I, I know what other authors these guys read and what their pet peeves are. And I, you know, we all have tropes that sometimes we absolutely hate them as readers, but they are actually quite popular overall, or they can be somebody else's favorite trope. So you can't just automatically change something because you happen to stumble across a, a reader's hated trope. <laughs> so, um, you know, in the end, though, I, I make myself sleep on it before making, you know, starting to work on the document and making any changes based on their feedback. Sometimes, too, that gives me a moment to reflect. And I'll, I will realize that I stubbornly rejected something that actually I could improve upon or could clarify, or maybe if I did this thing and that thing, actually, I could, you know, make bring this together a little better. So, you know, it's in the end, I, I have to, it has to be it has to feel right to me. And I think this is just something you develop over time is knowing when, yeah, that's something right. Or no, no, that's just uh, doesn't apply to me. And um, I'm going to keep it the way it is and risk, be willing to risk, uh, you know, others feeling the same way the beta readers did. But it is important to know that you're never going to be able to please everyone. And you do have to develop and learn to have confidence in your own judgments. Beta readers can be super helpful, but in the end, you cannot write a book by committee. All right. Do you guys have any more thoughts on that? We're going to move on to the next question. They are shaking their heads. How do you deal with unsolicited criticism, usually after the book is published, such as reviews on stores or book by book bloggers and that kind of thing? I'll, I'll address this a little bit more again later under the, the asterisk question that we have. <laughs> I'm like, that's a great question. Um, honestly, I do my best to ignore it. Um, there are a couple of times, there were actually a couple of times in the beginning when I first started writing where I found out through negative reviews that I mishandled some aspects of the book's presentation, like a trope that I handled poorly or a book cover or a description that led readers to believe they're going to read something else entirely. And I was, I was, I deserved those negative reviews because the presentation wasn't the way it should have been. So like the wrong genre on the book cover or the description or something, um, and I've applied to that and I've um, moved forward. But in general, I avoid my reviews, even positive ones. Um, eventually, if you make it a habit to read them all the time, you're going to eventually spend more time reading reviews than writing new books. <laughs> it's more important to write new books than it is to read reviews. And so I just, it's, it's a, it's like a, this, this itch that a lot of people feel like they need to satisfy. Just try not to too much because it just, it's a rabbit hole. <laughs> Yeah, I um, another list uh, add to the list of things you shouldn't do. I used to engage with reviews, like not just read them. I would literally reply to reviews on Amazon. Like this is year one of my of my uh, career, but still bad. Don't. Uh, I went so far as to spoil plot points of future books uh, to put the concerns to rest of people who didn't like a specific event that happened in that book. Um, it was silly. I don't do it anymore. For the most part, now I try to avoid reading. I try to avoid reading reviews uh, unless I'm getting hammered with bad reviews, in which case I'll read them and see if there's a common thread of criticism, uh, which is something then I'll need to correct in the current book if it's something structural uh, like formatting or typos. And if if it's not, then I just have to, you know, attempt to correct the plot issue in the sequels if I if I write sequels for blog reviews, which I very rarely get. Uh, I often read them, um, if only because they're more likely to be seen by folks who aren't actively shopping for the books. So they're something of a, dis a discovery vector. Like you're not going to stumble upon the review of my book on a store page unless you're thinking of buying my book. But if you're reading a, you know, if you were just a, a fan of that blogger and you're reading their their blog, then that you know might lead you to my book. So and also I find that depending on the blogger, obviously there's a, there's a huge spectrum. I find that they tend to be much deeper thinkers on the on the content of a book, so you can actually get some decent insight. That being said, it's got all the same dangers as reading uh, you know, other reviews. Like you're gonna, it, you can get in your own head about it pretty pretty badly. And it's worth pointing out that blogs are one of the only situations besides beta reading where I have solicited solicited reviews. I've gotten for if your book appeals to a certain very small niche, 
uh, frequently one or two blogs serve that entire niche. So you can get in front of them pretty, pretty well by getting on that blog. So I've done that once or twice to, you know, reasonable success, but yeah, in general, I avoid reading reviews because they break my brain and make me feel bad. Even if they're good, I'll, I'll say this before we move on. My, um, my friends threw a 10th anniversary of my first book release party. And as part of the party favors, they put things on the, on the centerpieces of the table that were reviews, positive reviews, like five-star reviews of my books. And I was looking at, it, I was like, Hey, look at this one. I said, I didn't expect it to be very good, but it was like this person started with low expectations. And she's like, wow, you can, you can really find a way to feel bad about any review you read. I'm like, yeah, it's a skill you get when you're a writer. <laughs> I have to ask you guys before I share mine. Do you now, uh, when you get emails from fans or start reading reviews and it starts off really glowing, you're like waiting for the but <laughs> and the criticism, like, and that, that they're not like they're always there. But I feel like I've been trained at this point. It's like this. I don't know. This is maybe something you need to discuss with a therapist. But you're just kind of cringing and waiting for the but. <laughs> yeah, the compliment the sandwich. Where it's yes. Positive, negative, positive. <laughs> all right for my answer to this one i don't read reviews and i won't even look at book blog stuff even when people ping me i just thank them for it. you know like good or bad things for reading the book and checking it out at this point you know once the book is out aside from typos i'm not going to change anything and this i think i've one time had a um logic like an error like a, an axe that was i thought was taken back at the end of the book appeared again in the next book and I, I went back and changed that but it, I really once it's published I consider it done and just to be clear this isn't to say that there aren't going to be valid points in reviews that people leave and bravo to the authors out there who can go and mine them to you know to improve their craft I, I every now and then I hear people say they do that and say wow you are an amazing personality that is super different from me because I just have to have this practice of not looking at the reviews for my own mental health. If I read a harsh review or get a critical email early in the day, it can derail me and put me in a funk for the rest of the day. And it's really hard to like be creative and produce new work, new art when you're in that kind of mood. Um, I used to answer critical emails and try to make myself at least thank the sender for their feedback, but I decided life is too short. So unsolicited advice can pretty much suck it. Um, I generally just delete those emails now, unless someone is genuinely trying to be helpful. You can kind of tell versus people that are just like, well, I didn't like this as much as your other series because this was, this character was whiny and, you know, it's sort of like, ah, I'm just not even going to respond to that kind of thing. Uh, and it is also important to remember that your readers, just like your beta readers, have their own likes and hates that they bring to the book. So sometimes you just happen to chance across one of their pet peeves. All right, next question. Does anything change for you when the criticism is private, such as emailed to you, versus public, like posted on a social media site where they may or may not tag you? And I think that that's, uh, that's kind of a key point I want to clarify on, because I figure talk about author all you want social media or your book blog or whatever talk about their book you know what what sucked about it that's that's fine you have a place for that it's when they tag you with it it's like what are you doing like i don't want to read this so that's sort of my cringy with the public stuff yeah um i absolutely hate it when people send me negative reviews or criticism um like privately i just i absolutely hate it i'm like it's it feels so petty like they're like, I just need you to know I did not like this. It just, it just feels petty to me. And I don't like petty. Um, sometimes they'll send me a link to their review and say things like, I hated your book and here's why. And it's not usually that harsh, but it can be pretty rude. Uh, or they'll tell me something like what Lindsay already said, this one wasn't as good as your other books, which I'm like that. I, there's nothing I can do about that. Like you're not, every book's going to appeal to every reader. Why do you feel the need to tell me? Um, but when it's private, I feel obligated to answer. But when I do, I wait for a day or two, sometimes even three, <laughs> because by then they're not feeling so passionately negative. And I'm, I'm less likely to say something snide or passive aggressive, which does happen sometimes. And sometimes I'm like, I type up this answer. I'm like, oh, that's a perfectly rational response. And I'm like, hey, Nolan, come read this. He's like, whoa, are you really thinking about sending that? And I'm like, okay, so the way you see your words is not going to be the way they'll respond. And if you respond when they're super, when they're still worked up or still, still feeling negative about your book, then they're going to read it the way they, they want to read it. Um, 
when I do respond, I thank them for their feedback. I vent to my husband, my mom, my brother, my best friend, and then I move on with my life. <laughs> you introverts, you're so glad you don't have to involve people. Extroverts need to talk to get over something. And in either case, the negative emotions need to be dealt with. Um, bottling isn't good and it can lead to unleashing on the next person who has something not glowing to say. Um, when it's public, I ignore it. <laughs> I'm like, nope, don't care. I mean, I will, when it's public and it's positive, I will, I'll usually heart their comment and say, thank you. And things like that. But if it's negative, obvi- obviously I, I just ignore it. Um, I don't ignore it when it's in my, my private Facebook group, because that is my territory and coming to my territory to badmouth me is bad. Um, and also waiting a long time to address things in your private group isn't wise. It can lead people to feel like the group isn't monitor, which can lead to more issues in the future, like people trying to mutiny, <laughs> which has happened to me in the past, not here with my gaming channel. But um, anyway, so breathe, deal with the negativity in a mature and calm way, then vent to someone else or stew over it for a while, but don't take out your emotions publicly and don't, yeah, just just tell them thank you. Thank you for letting me know you didn't enjoy my book. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, for public stuff, I, I brush it off entirely. If someone tags me, uh, I if they tag me with something positive, thanks for reading. I'm glad you like the book. If they tag me with something negative, usually I still just I still just say thanks for reading because they still read it. You know, um, it. But like if they're just talking about me, usually I don't even know. I don't do a lot of ego searches these days. Uh, so, uh, if, so they're talking about me and they don't tag me, then that's not even meant for me to read. So that's whatever. Fine. Uh, I don't even know when it's private. I do. I also feel compelled to reply. Uh, early on, I would try to defend myself. I would try to point counterpoint when somebody had, had, uh, complaints. Again, you'll notice a thread of me uh, debating people who have uh, negative opinions of my work, uh, which I'm, I'm evolving past uh, again now even if it's an email if it's a negative email i still thank them uh, thanks for reading if they have questions i answer the questions and then i let it drop it doesn't need to be a continuing thread um, it's important to realize that you won't be changing any minds when someone contacts you with a negative review uh, you, it, even if you have a 15 email back and forth with them uh, they've made their decision and it's an opinion like opinions can't be wrong. I can't say, no, you're wrong about how you feel. So don't even try. That's silly. Um, it's just best. It's not the best use of your time. Let them blow off their steam. Let them know they've been heard or don't and then move on. Uh, it helps that I'm writing fantasy and sci-fi, by the way. If I was writing, for example, historical romance and somebody came along who was an expert on the time period that I wrote my story in and they told me I did a terrible job, it's entirely possible they know better than I do. <laughs> and that actually might end up with me getting valuable information. Um, but I, ha- I get to invent the things that are in my stories. You can't tell me that I did something wrong when I made it up. The only thing I can do wrong in those situations is contradict myself. Uh, and, you know, it's a nice bulletproof vest for situations like these. So I, uh, I'm somewhat protected in these situations where you can't touch me. I am the god of this world. Though you can still run afoul of people in fantasy and sci-fi. I think I've told this story before about how my first series, my first world, they just don't have horses. Because I kept getting the critique partners that had the lovely... I won't say privilege. I hate that word the way Susie states, but they grew up with horses, you know, like, and uh, we did not have horses where I lived. <laughs> and uh, so they know all about horses and they'd rant about me inappropriately, not basically not knowing anything about horses. And uh, so I'm like, dang it, there's just horses did not evolve in this world. They died off a long time ago. Um, but it was kind of funny because it led to like kind of some interesting world building because I, I was like, well, they probably had to evolve like really good transportation systems <laughs> really early on in order to get anywhere across this big empire. So it was kind of fun. But yeah, you can uh, definitely get those people. And I will say, in response to Andrea's comment on introverts, introverts completely need to vent to someone too. Like you need someone safe people to say the things that you will not email back to that person, even though you, it's what you're thinking and you really want to, you got to have some friends that you can rant to and a safe place. And sometimes when I see people explode on social media, I'm like, Oh, I think they don't have that, you know, and that's why they exploded. And now they're in deep doo-doo because it's, this viral hate fest. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, like I said before, I often, if it's depending on the 
tone of the email, I may just delete it anymore. I just like, I, I don't have time. <laughs> I don't want to deal with this. I don't need to deal with this. You pay, paying $3.99 for my book doesn't entitle you to an hour of my time of me, you know, going point by point through your email criticism. Uh, I, I, the only thing I, and I don't care, like I said, like Joe, I'm not somebody that, uh, ever ever looks for myself on like google search or well maybe google because i need to get like a picture of something i can't find you know like what do I, what was that one book cover it's easier to go on google images than uh, actually drag it out of your files but i yeah i don't look for trouble so that's why maybe that's part of why i like get really resentful when they say this book sucked and they tag you <laughs> they're like what what do you want me to come say to this uh, but you have to be careful, especially on Twitter, man. The the power of the mob on these social media sites these days is pretty scary, honestly. As a creator, I, I feel that way. I feel like you have to step so carefully. You know, it used to be you could just kind of ignore the people in the stands and focus on putting out art that meant something to you. And, ooh, not these days. Uh, you know, the masses have a lot more power to tear you down than they used to. And uh, I don't know. I, as a sci-fi writer, I can't help but think when we get our... AI generated future that the very bland arts, art movies, books and stuff that we might end up getting is we may kind of deserve it. So that's my uh, soapbox on that. Um, And just to be clear, people are welcome to say whatever they want to say. It's uh, it's when they deliberately try to get a rise out of you. And I think we have another few more comments on this later that uh, that's hard to deal with. I don't know. That one makes me crazy. And that sometimes was when I disappear from social media for a couple of days, it's just, that's what it is. <laughs> I just like, I need to just go in my cave and not have this influence and write in peace. All right. Constructive versus ignorable criticism. Sometimes, uh, as we talked about with beta readers and stuff, criticism can be good and should be sought out so you, you can make your work better. But sometimes it's not that helpful and you should probably do your best to ignore it or try to minimize the effect it has on you. Do you guys agree with that? And uh, yes or no, do you have any examples? No examples. Just kidding. <laughs> I don't have examples. I asked you for examples and then I didn't <laughs> give any. Like, these guys will have them. <laughs> Um, yeah, like I said earlier, some of my negative reviews have actually been helpful. They've helped me see when I've missed my mark, which possibly doesn't seem super important to some, but when I'm working toward a specific theme and find out I failed, I want to know about it so I can learn, apply and do better in the future. Um, constructive criticism can be super helpful, helpful if it's delivered because someone loves your books and their opinion what's on what's wrong turns out to be correct. It's usually helpful. You can almost always tell if it's going to be helpful or not by how it makes you feel. If it hits your chest and that, ah, dang it, he's right. Um, way, then it's probably helpful. If it makes you feel super defensive and like ripping someone's head off, it might not be as useful, but a lot of this depends on your personality and what you're looking for or needing, or even how you receive criticism. If receiving negative criticism in any way always makes you angry, then don't discredit something just because it annoys you um, before you respond to anything. Take some time to think over your response uh, to breathe and be mature and professional. And I've mentioned before that readers initially told me that the main character in my Mosaic Chronicles was a snob. (laughs) It took me nearly a year to fully recognize what they meant. And I'm still really grateful that they pointed out because I, um, they pointed out in the beginning and I made the, they, they gave me specific places where it was happening and I made those changes. And then a year later, I read the book again because I saw a couple of reviews again, mentioning it. And I'm like, I'm, I tend to be a super blunt person in in real life. Like I'm not cruel or harsh. I'm just like, I just, I'm straightforward. I don't see any point in beating around the bush. I'm like, this is how I feel. And because I've also got harmony in my top 10, I don't do it in a contentious way, but it's really hard in a book for a character to have that straightforwardness without coming across as harsh. So for example, and here's your example, Lindsay, that character, she, she had her mental dialogue said that somebody's hair had been bleached a lot of times and it had that texture and that color and that really bothered my readers because the way I worded it made it sound like my main character was critical of that and I'm like it's just a statement the hair had that that over bleached texture to it which everybody you guys know exactly what I'm saying I'm like that's the best way to drive it home but I ended up removing that because I was like okay so I can see that that if you're reading it in the wrong tone of voice that's going to come across as too harsh and and anyway so um, so I did cha- make those changes about a year later. Um, like I said, it took me nearly a, a full year to figure out exactly what they meant. And part of it was reading it at, with a fresh set of mind and going, oh, okay, so this did not go across the way I wanted it to. And this is, again, my communication 
the, the strength communication, like I want my words to mean exactly what I mean them to. And so I will go back and fix things and reword to make it so that my characters aren't unlikable. And anyway, so yeah. Yeah. I don't remember what the point of that comment was. <laughs> but you provided an example. So you're a good girl. Yeah. There you go. So uh, yeah, like I said earlier, about 60% of the stuff that I get is worth folding in without question. And another 30% is just stuff I ditch. The good rule of thumb, the rules of thumb that I use uh, and I had to sort of think about this because it's become very automatic for me is uh, stuff that I, you know, feedback that I can safely ignore is uh, a very common one is when stuff is foreshadowing, but the reader felt like it was pointless because the foreshadowed event hasn't occurred yet. <laughs> like, like no, trust me, this will make sense later. Uh, a lot of people are impatient for that sort of reveal. Um Another one is someone telling you that's not how I would react in this situation when the character they're talking about is nothing like they are like, that's, that's fine. That's not a flaw. This person is much more impulsive than you. So like, I don't, I don't even say that just boop, that's, that's not a point that is necessary for me to consider. And um, so <laughs> C, uh, Oh, I have a better idea. This is, almost never something that i'm going to, to to sink my teeth into because very frequently as Lindsay indicated earlier that better idea is something that would completely derail the plot like you the, the, this especially if it's like book three in a series where it's like i'm sorry even if that's the best idea i ever heard you should go write that book but i can't write that book because it would completely contradict the first two books uh, and some examples of stuff that i've ditched uh you should make this character more likable talk about you know likable unlikable characters sometimes a character's unlikability is a motivating factor in the actions of other characters and if i make that per- character likable then the act of rebellion that comes as a result of that person's behavior doesn't make sense anymore so like likable is not necessary it's not even necessary for heroes or the ideally you'd make your hero likable but there are plenty of situations where a character doesn't have it's supposed to rub you the wrong way uh number another one People won't enjoy this story unless these two characters hook up. Uh, I have, that's the most common, like, unsolicited feedback from, from readers, where it's like, you chose the wrong couple, or why isn't there a couple? You know, like, and I'm like, sorry, characters don't usually hook up in my stories. You'll notice that if you read more than two of my books. Uh, so, yeah, again, you start talking to me about, about you know, uh, steamy, the lack of steam, I can set that aside. It's a tone situation and a style situation I don't, I don't, I don't hook up with. And then uh, there's no way the zipper of a purse would open in a fight. This is one of the arguments I had (laughs) where I replied with a video of me shaking a borrowed purse until it unzipped. Like, see, look, it happens. Like occasionally people will, will, will absolutely make the decision that something that is factually and demonstrably. So not an aspect of fiction is something that they disagree with. And again, easily ignore it. It's just not worth, not worth arguing about. I should have, this one is side to side, but that one I, I sunk my teeth into. It's funny, the likable characters thing. I had one villain in my Dragon Blood series. I mean, he's more like the antagonist. He's kind of an antagonist to the hero. He hated the hero. He wasn't necessarily like the villain. But um, yeah, I remember Beta Reader didn't say necessarily to change him, but she was like, I hate this guy so much. I hope he dies a horrible, horrible death. And like by a couple of books later, I had this like wonderful, great uh, dialogue with the hero and him. They just butted heads so much. It was almost bromance territory. Like, are you trying to hide some like repressed feelings here you guys are really just always at each other's throat um and it was such a fun character he developed into and the dialogue with them was so fun to write uh because you know you gotta have like conflict and you know you can't have everybody just lovey lovey in the adventuring party you know it's just uh that's pretty boring reading um eventually that character got his own romance novel and it was quite the challenge to make him into the hero of the piece uh, but that was a bit of a tangent i would just say for me i'm really open to feedback and i seek it out while i'm writing the book um before it's published that's when it's easy to change things it's possible and but once it's published like especially we talk about if you write in a series um you probably can't go back and make changes to something that happened three books ago because the things that happened in that book will affect everything going forward I, I i'm sure you guys have had the experience where 
you've changed one tiny thing that maybe your editor suggested or something, and then you're rereading it later or readers typo hunter or whatever is reading it and it affected like five different things that you didn't realize it wasn't something you could catch just by doing a search and find and whatever uh so you have to be really careful with making changes and that's why i'm very reluctant to do anything like that once i've published the book all right next one how can you know when the criticism is right and you should make changes versus when the critiquer was off and it isn't right? And we kind of talked about this already, but I think it's something newer authors really struggle with kind of identifying. And I know when I was getting started and in the workshop, I just thought everybody knew more than me and I kind of had to listen to everyone. So it was really hard for me to stand my ground. I was just like, wow, she's sold stories to like the pro magazines you know or she's an editor so probably I have to listen to them um, but what do you guys think how do you know when you should and shouldn't listen um okay so I definitely agree that this is something newer authors struggle with uh, it's it's natural it's going to be that way um in the beginning it's hard not to accept everything that comes your way and I hate to say it but sometimes you have to slog through things a bit before you learn what to accept and what not to uh, you'll gradually get a grasp on what sort of criticism you should accept and what you should disregard. And luckily, but not so luckily, <laughs> your first books, but your first books, books aren't as likely to go big. So you won't be putting something out there that doesn't quite fit you. And part of why earlier books don't go as big sometimes is the author is still trying to find his or her voice. So the more books you write, the easier and faster you can fall into your own groove for what will and won't work for you, both in what you write and in the criticism you should apply. Um, for now, though, be patient, think things over for a while before applying anything um, and be willing to go back and forth a little with your manuscripts and plots as you wriggle your way into a groove. And I do have a quick little story right here with, with the key of cleaning. I've, I've mentioned this before. I went to this workshop with this huge New York Times or New York editor who recommended I do something and it just destroyed my book, The Key of Cleaning. I mean, it was so bad. And and by, when I signed with the publisher, we ended up going back multiple versions of, of the book into one that was nowhere near as good, like the grammar or not the grammar, but the, the writing wasn't as solid for my personality, but it had more of the story in there that the editor told me to cut. Um, anyway, so you're just, you just need to be patient. You need to, again, like I said, recognize that not every, every reader is going to see things the same way. Your, your books aren't going to fit your personality perfectly in the beginning, and it'll take time for you to figure out where you're going um, so accept advice, play with it, apply it, see how it fits, then be willing to consider other advice that might go against the earlier stuff you heard. Everyone has an opinion and those opinions don't always agree with each other. And, and, and there's so many different subgenres and subgenres. And if they don't read your genre, they're not going to understand why you're doing something the way you're doing it. And that can skew the way they give uh, feedback as well. But you'll get to the point where you'll know if something works or doesn't. And if it doesn't work, you'll understand why. And it just takes a bit. It's like I said, it's a bit of a slog to get there, but you'll get there. Yeah, there's a there's a few ways you can wrap your head around criticism and how to know if it's useful to you or not. Um, I don't like that without a concrete reason. Toss it. Not useful to you. It's a matter of taste. Um, if someone legit doesn't like something and it's legit not good, there will be a reason. It won't just be like, then they'll tell you that and maybe you can act upon that. But if it's just, I don't like that, um, not valuable crit uh, critique. Uh, uh, unless you get a uniform response from all of your beta readers that element X rubs in the wrong way. Like if again, then even if there's no reason, there's something like it's, it's, you know, they can't put their finger on it. But again, if it's a uniform thing, that per that thing's no good. That guy's no fun. Maybe take it then. But again, one person, I don't like it. No reason. Useless. Um, second, uh, I'd do it this way. Great. Uh, maybe take it into consideration, but you're the author, not them. So the way they would do it uh, is shouldn't necessarily change your your you know plan. The framing, by the way, in this case is is important. Maybe try it this way, or that doesn't work because of X Y Z. While this does work, those are useful. Again, they're giving you reasons uh, or options worthy of consideration. But uh, if something is basic as here is how I would write this book, or I like this idea better, it's less useful to you. There exist people who don't so much as want to help you make your book better is to get you to write the book they wanted to write. I know of at least two people whose names I will not say who have repeatedly attempted this through critiques. Uh, and it's, it's just going to 
you should remove them from your beta list and just have them as as people you have conversations with, I guess. And the sort of information that you should lean on a little bit more is information that the critic has a greater degree of insight into than you do. If you hire a sensitivity reader to make sure that your descriptions of a minority is, are accurate and respectful and they tell you that they aren't and list the reasons why, probably you should trust their view. There's a reason you talk to that person. Uh, if you are a man writing about a woman and a woman says, that's not how boobs work, take notes. Like, you know, they know better than you do. Uh, this hasn't happened to me, by the way, but the internet is full. There's whole Twitter accounts dedicated to uh, writing examples of dudes who apparently didn't take health class and don't know how any of that stuff works. So pay attention to areas where they are actually experts. Oh, there've been so many people who've shared their artwork on Twitter. Where I want to be like, dude, that's not how boobs work. Uh all right. Yeah. So part of this just comes with experience and it helps if you've sold books, had stuff that have done well, you know, and where people have fans have emailed you and said how much they like them and X is their favorite series or, you know, whatever kind of glowing praise you, you've sold enough books and started to get to that point in your career. It's a little helpful. It gives you a little more confidence. This doesn't mean everything you put out is going to be gold and we all have our major duds. But you do start to get a little more confidence in, you know, how you tell your stories. And you're like, yeah, um, at least some people are probably going to like this. You know, like, okay, I kind of know what I'm doing some of the time, most of the time, possibly. One thing, though, is nice, though, when you have multiple beta readers, is that you can somewhat gauge things by whether there's a consensus on something. Ideally, the beta readers aren't comparing notes before they send stuff off to you. Um, and if two people independent of each other say the same thing, like that character's flat and needs more personality, then maybe there's something to that. Where it can get tough is when you start to get contradicting notes from beta readers. And it's why I think there's a kind of a sweet spot on how many people you use. You get too many and you can start to make yourself crazy trying to consider all the points that all these people bring up and especially the contradictory stuff. So, yeah, I, I will say that it does come with time, some confidence, hopefully, <laughs> if you survive all the early years and the, the first books. All right. I think oh, we have one more one more question for me. All right. How do you get out of a funk when the criticism seems to be outweighing the good things and it's making you doubt yourself and whether writing is for you? All right. So I have a couple of ways that I deal with this one because I've dealt with it um, a great deal. Uh, some of them depend upon you having had a career similar to mine. Uh, and some of them depend upon you having a mindset similar to mine. So I don't know how useful they'll be, but I can share what I've done. Uh, first, I have a folder on my computer labeled Proof of Awesome. And anytime I do anything that I feel is worthy of pride or is a mark of accomplishment, I screen cap it and I throw it in there. So times I've topped genre lists, times I've gotten really good fan letters, interactions I've had with people I, can, uh, you know, I respect uh, as, as artists, anything that makes me feel good, it goes in there. And when I feel as though that I don't belong in this career or if I've not done anything that's worthwhile, I open it up. I don't even have to look at the individual things. The presence of things in that folder is just like, oh, there's, there's a dozen situations where I felt exactly opposite to this. And they are, you know, concrete and true and happened. And again, you, if, you know, this requires you to, uh, to have had a career where those things occurred, I didn't always have that. It depends upon a fairly lengthy career with some notable success in it. Uh, but another point that I that I use to counter stinking thinking is uh, I love terrible movies. Uh, there's loads of bad movies that are not only entertaining, but popular and profitable. Uh, being good at something has never been a deciding factor in whether or not people will like that thing or will pay for that thing. Uh, it helps if something is good and you should strive to be good. But even if you accept the terrible, evil things that your brain is telling you about how good you are and you believe that everyone hates your stuff and your stuff is terrible, that doesn't mean that you can't succeed. Uh, you know, it doesn't mean you can't still produce things that people will like, that people will consume. Uh, I have no problem being someone's guilty pleasure. Like if, if, if it comes down to that and people are like, boy, oh boy, their, their books, they're so bad, they're good. Great. Fantastic. You got the word good in there. Um, we can all think of something that's become a blockbuster movie or a chart topping song or a best-selling novel that we simply could not abide. And we thought that was execrable. And uh, 
that could be you for someone else. So there's the good news. Uh, and, and the last point here, I, uh, I use this to fuel myself when things are going wrong. It's the lottery ticket. Uh, my first book was not immediately popular. Uh, it took a year plus a huge drop in price before it, it was discovered and exploded. And that was the day that I won the lottery. Like that was, that was a winning lottery ticket. And if my concern isn't based on criticism, but on a lukewarm response or sales or something like that, I remind myself that every day there's a chance that someone will mention one of my books to the right person and there will be a wave of purchases or a blog will pick it up or a YouTube video or a TikTok or something will mention it and I'll get a wave of purchases and then I've won another lottery. And, uh, you know, so like, again, this is, this is the way I often work where I, if I accept the premise of the bad thought, is that still bad? And they're like, well, no, these are lottery tickets. Every book I make, it's another lottery ticket. Every day I get to play those lottery tickets over again. So all I got to do is keep writing books, keep moving forward, and my chances of winning the lottery again go up. And not only that, unlike a real lottery, you can actually influence it by making your book better or by promoting your book better. So, you know, I just sort of like ignore, like, ignore it, move forward. It's a lottery ticket. You, you, you bought the ticket. Your numbers are out there. Someday your number might come up. Just keep on moving forward. Like that's, I have driven myself through many doldrums just by saying, all I did was write a lottery ticket. Let me write the next lottery ticket. I love the idea of the uh, proof, proof of awesome folder. I, I may have to steal that. Right now I've got a, like, I save some of the fan emails that are, that don't have the butt. <laughs> <laughs> that are just like lovely, nice emails and make you feel good. And, you know, I'm always like, well, I can look back at them when I'm feeling down. And uh, like you sometimes just seeing that they're in there, you know, it, it helps. But, you know, when I'm having a day like that or kind of a feeling that just like, oh, in a funk about things like, uh, you know, like I'm burned out or there's more, the criticism seems to hit harder than it used to, or you feel like that. I will often just turn it into an admin day and book some promos and answer some emails, basically do the kind of things that do not demand any creativity or for me to be in this sort of Zen flow in order to uh, just get the story down. And, you know, I'm not going to lie. Some days I just blow off entirely and surf YouTube and Zillow. It happens to the best of us. You can, you can only do that so often when you're on a deadline. That's the hard part. Um, uh, the real challenge, though, is when you wake up the next day and you still feel like that. And then the next day after that. And in that case, maybe you need a break, you know, to do some other hobbies. And if writing starts to call to you again after a while, then you have to go back you start to feel like you have to write the story no matter what the reception to the last one was, whether it was criticism or just whether it was lack of sales. Honestly, I feel like for a lot of people, indifference, that lack of sales can feel like an indifference and it can be just as hard to handle and deal with as the criticism. Because after all, if you've got critics, at least that means someone read the book and cared enough to comment. Um, Of course, once the you've made the choice to do this for a career. It's a little harder to just take a break. Maybe, you know, you can take a week off or something, but you can't necessarily take six months to go find yourself unless you're going to find yourself a new career in that process. Every now and then, um, I, when I need it, I go and on YouTube and listen to the, the Teddy Roosevelt, the man in the arena speech. And you probably all heard it, but I'll throw the link in the show notes anyway. It's just a, a couple of minutes long. And Brene Brown has a good talk, too, that kind of uh, expands on that speech, and it's called Why Your Critics Aren't the Ones Who Count, and it's aimed right at creatives. So that's another one you can check out when you just, (laughs) you know, you need to feel like, oh, everybody goes through this, and you are doing something that's hard. You know, I mean, as I get emotional, (laughs) we all feel this way, guys. So it's not like if you feel this way, there's anything wrong with you. You are perfectly normal to have these feelings. Um, you know, it's just, you have to realize too, that this is what you sign up for as a creative. When you start publishing and you want to be read and you want to make money from your reading and you want people to enjoy it, you have to accept that. Yeah. The the critics are going to be out there too. And it is what you signed up for. Is this is a very good point. Um, it's, it's hard. It's, I mean, any person who puts their heart and soul into something like we do with our books or an artist does with art or any of the creative endeavors people do, even musicians. I mean, you're putting your, you're putting your heart and soul out there and you have to recognize that some people don't have your best interests at heart and you just, you have to, 
ignore it as much as you can. Um, the worst part of being an author, uh, being a human is the bad almost always outweighs the good when it comes to feedback. And I'm an eternal optimist, but I can see a thousand positive glowing reviews and still get hung up over one nasty negative review. It sucks. And to get out of it, I vent a lot. (laughs) I vent so much. I will vent to anyone who will listen to me. I'm not even joking about that. Um, to my husband, the poor man, he knew what he was getting into when he married me, but I still have to feel bad for him. Uh, my mom, my friend down the street, another best friend, my sister's-in-law, my brother and his wife. So Josh and the nanny, my sister, et cetera. I don't gossip and I'm not snide or belittling, or I, uh, I definitely don't mention names or try to make them into somebody like, Oh my gosh, did you hear what they said? That kind of thing. And I don't use that gossipy tone of voice. Cause I hate gossip. Um, I straight vent and it's about how it affected me. Um, in order to process what I'm thinking, how, what was said affected me, how I want to move forward, how I should respond. If any response at all is required, I have to talk. Uh, most of the time, the first half of what I say isn't actually what I feel or how, what I believe, but if I don't say it, I can't get to the, this is what I'm really thinking or feeling. And it's really frustrating because I will like the, the difference between me and Nolan, he's an introvert. And when he says something to me, I know he's been thinking about it for a really long time. And so it usually represents how he's feeling, but that's not how I am. When I say something, it's usually not really how I feel or how I want to proceed. And it takes me a while to get to that. And so as an extrovert, I'm like, don't take my first response, you know, don't take it seriously. Basically just wait for me to get to past that cranky. I'm, I hated the feedback I received past all of that to where I can actually come up with a re, an answer or how I want to move forward. Um, extroverts and introverts can be the same this way. We say things we don't believe for an extrovert. It usually means I need to talk more. And for an introvert, it might mean they need to think more. Um, but time is almost always a part of the equation. Don't try to downplay how criticism affects you or your process to get through it. If you're extroverted, don't try to internalize it or think your way through it, though thinking is obviously going to be a huge part of processing. Find someone who loves you and will let you vent your way. Um, that's how I get out of the funk. In extreme cases, I have to shut myself off from pretty much everyone. Um, and everyone, I mean, anybody I don't see face to face. So I got burned publicly really badly last year by someone I thought I could trust. And I didn't get on Facebook for a month because Facebook, social media can be very toxic. And if you're not, I mean, as an extrovert, when you get burned, you, you, well, I think everybody does. We kind of huddle, we go into our own little, you know, for protection and for healing. Right. And I interacted only with those immediately around me. So my friends, very close friends, I only have a couple of them because that's how I am. And then Nolan and a couple family members. Um, one thing to mention venting on social media is not the same as venting in person. They have different results and they're done for different purposes. Don't view them as the same venting on social media usually is a soapbox. It's not usually going to make yourself feel better. It's a lot of the times. And obviously there's going to be, um, what's the word cases where this is not the, not the case cases where this is not the case. Um, People will, will, it won't be, this won't be applicable to them, but in almost every case that I've seen, when somebody gets up on a soapbox to vent, soapbox to vent, they're doing it not for themselves. They're doing it for people because they want to get attention for their negative feelings. And it can, it can open up a whole can of worms and it can make things even worse. Um, if you're an extrovert and I'm, I'm saying like the truly, the truly destructive, the, the true criticism and, and your true deep feelings that are super negative, they don't make things better when you put them on social media. And I'm sure people will disagree with me on that, but I don't think that social media resolves much. <laughs> um, if you're an extrovert, get some face to face time to help overcome the, inf- the funk instead of talking about it online. And then probably even the same if you're an introvert. And Lindsay, did you want me to go on to the next topic or did you want to comment? Oh, no, go ahead. I think that we have one or two more. We're coming up close to an hour. Who knew authors had so much to say about (laughs) criticism? How odd. (laughs) No kidding. Okay, so I I have a question, and mine is, how do each of us give criticism when asked? First to experienced authors, but also to new authors, and how has this changed over the years? All right, so I am notably terrible at critiques, and I'm very open about that when people ask for them. I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll do it if you need me to, but I'm not great at it. Uh, it's been ages since I was asked to critique an experienced author, but almost invariably I defer to their judgment and their decision-making on anything that is a matter of taste or, uh, you know, just seems good to me. I know seems good to me is a terrible critique, which is why I say I'm bad at it. It's a completely useless statement when you're getting a critique, but if something stands out 
as being well done, I'll call it out and I'll say why I think it's well done. If something is mechanically broken, I'll let them know. But almost never do I question things like plot or, or characterization unless it is a real standout of an issue. Um, for new authors, I, I call out common mistakes. You use the same adjective six times in this paragraph and three times in this sentence. Strive some variety. Uh, you described a character's internal thoughts in this paragraph, and in the next paragraph, you had them voice those thoughts. Maybe you try to avoid repetition. Um, you had someone plan to do something and then say they were going to do it and then had them do it and then had someone explain to someone else what just happened. I, I read a book where that occurred, and I was like, again, avoid repetition. Uh, you only need one of those things to occur. Ideally, it actually happening. Um, your main character instantly solves all problems they encounter and all of the other characters spend 90% of their dialogue talking about how great they are. A lot of early writers, their first book is going to be wish fulfillment and that's great. And it's fun to write, but you know, so I'll, I'll, I'll try to provide situations in those situations. I'll try to, to, to give them helpful advice. This has changed a bit in that my knee jerk reaction in all cases used to be to take a problematic passage rewrite it and give it to them and highlight the reasons for the changes this is the way i used to do things uh rare is a person who takes this as intended so i've stopped doing this entirely uh experienced writers if you take something they wrote and rewrite it they'll be like yeah thanks i wrote it that way for a reason like they don't they don't they're not interested in your take on their story and new writers if you take something they wrote and rewrite it like oh no i messed up i'm terrible and and you know try to start mirroring your writing style in their own writing which is not what they ought to be doing so i've stopped doing that and that's basically my my critique situation um so this is another thing i've learned the hard way about i'm a, i'm a good writer meaning i can make english and in the beginning i wasn't necessarily a good storyteller but i had a very solid grasp on the english language because i'd been doing professional writing before i became an an author um, I recently found out that some feedback I gave an author friend made that author stop writing for five years. And I was one of the very first persons she went to for feedback. And I know there are other things going on that contributed, but I felt absolutely awful about it. Um, the feedback I gave was similar to what an editor would give. And I edited for others before I even became an author, but that author wasn't ready for anything other than uplifting feedback. Um, so when people are very, very first starting out, they need encouragement the most. And generally, if you're there, if you're listening and you're brand new starting, go to somebody who's close to you when you're in that stage. Don't go to somebody who is professional or like super not close to you who won't know exactly what you need or how to hand, give you bad, bad news because your first book's going to have a lot of bad news in it. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I think a lot of us recognize that, but it's still hard when it's your own stuff. Um, I don't read books by new authors anymore. Um, it's too hard for me to not tell them everything I notice. And I don't do it to be cruel. I do it to be as helpful as I can to make it worth their time, basically. But I've come to see that that sometimes isn't actually helpful based on what phase they're in with the writing process. If they're not, if they've written the book and they haven't edited it through themselves, they're not ready to go to somebody else to get feedback. Um, and I don't feel like it's honest of me to notice a problem in a story and not help them work through it. Um, it just makes me feel, makes me feel crappy. Um, my policy now is to not read anything by new and new, like I said, unless it's a close friend or family member, mainly because I don't have the time. Well, actually, I mean, I just don't have the time and I don't want to, <laughs> like I, I struggle with reading professionally written books and finding problems. I don't want to read a book that's not been edited and beta read and gone through rigmaroles and all of that. It's just not fun anymore. Um, but also because it's really hard to know exactly what they need. And they say they want to hear everything, but usually they're not prepared for feedback from somebody who's more experienced. And I don't want to be responsible, um, even partially for making someone not want to write again, unless they're paying me, uh, in which case I'm like, I'm going to tell you everything because I want to make it worth your money. Um, anyway, so for a while, I compromised and read just the first page and that worked well. Usually I could tell if there were problems that would repeat through the rest of the book and it didn't cause as many issues for me where time was concerned. And then it also gave them some solid feedback and it made them feel like, you know, I, I was helping them. Um, a full edit for free isn't fair to me or the author. And it's too like, because it's too harsh for them. And it's obviously it's too much time for me. But like I said, I don't do any, I don't even do first pages anymore. Uh, it Time is too precious now. Um, and then for experienced authors, I don't offer feedback unless it's someone I know really well. So like a really close author friend and who has been publishing for a while, like 
about the same amount of time as me, maybe five years or more. Um, in that case, we exchange manuscripts and I tell them everything I notice, like everything I notice that I would bother me as a reader. And I know they'll do the same for me. And it's that sort of a relationship is a really fantastic one to have. The end. Yeah, I don't do feedback on anyone's stories anymore. I really enjoyed it when I was learning myself and in the online workshop and, and doing that kind of thing because I learned a lot from the giving, reading other people's stories, figuring out why things didn't work for me. Uh, you know, like taught me about a lot about my own writing. So I thought it was a really good experience, but these days I just, I don't have the time. Like Andrea, uh, I'm not a particularly fast reader, which might be surprising to people who are like, whoa, she's writing 10,000 words a day. I'm like, yeah, but I don't read all that fast. And I really think about things when I, like when I would do people's critiques and I did always, and same for new and you know, experienced authors, I would always try to find good things to say. And um, I feel like a lot of people like my type of personality, we can be super analytical and just get we are excited to like find all the flaws and want to make it better. And sometimes it's easy to like forget the good things. But I, I still remember like when I first put my first story on that workshop, like a short story, I, I feel very fortunate that the critiques I got were a mix you know like they did say good things as well as like oh you've got some talent here you know because I think I said like this is my first thing I'm ever sharing with anybody except like my 10th grade English teacher um you know and there were things that they pointed out that were wrong too but it was just easier getting it like that um even if we we are bitter and jaded and wait for the but (laughs) stuff um I like I said before I'm fine with that kind of stuff when it's I can still fix it and address it it is less useful to me when the story's already been published but yeah maybe someday when I'm more maybe semi-retired or something I would consider doing that again for people but it's just too much time right now I'm always I've always got pre-orders up so I'm always on a deadline um and I I I have given feedback on like more the marketing stuff that's a little easier you can kind of look at a glance and see like if somebody's cover stuff is uh not good but I like Andrea's experience with her friend is like I never want to be the person that really like makes somebody just wilt up and feel really bad about themselves. And I've done that on accident being thought, thinking I was like giving examples that were vague enough that were not. And I felt so, you know, you feel so bad. Like when you hurt somebody's feelings or you should feel bad when you hurt somebody's feelings. So it is hard to balance and I will not give unsolicited criticism for that. Even it's so hard sometimes when you do pop into the Facebook groups and somebody's ranting about, you can't make it anymore. You got to have a million dollars to spend on advertising. I'm not making any sales. And you look at their books and it's like, ah, your covers, dude, you need to fix your covers. Not you stop advertising anything. It's hard. It's hard to keep your mouth shut, but um, yeah, I'm just, I'm not going to do it unless somebody asks. And even then I'm kind of like, mm, I, I'm not sure you want to hear what I have to say. I mean, although at least if they ask, you know, hopefully they're in a place where they're open to feedback hopefully. <laughs> All right. Um, so before I get on to the last question, which is one of mine, uh, the phrase that I use for when I uh, am ruining somebody's day with a critique or an observation is a uh, uh, unicorn hunting. I'm, 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 I'm shooting unicorns when I do that. So I try to avoid, and I will often preface a statement with, I'm just going to avoid any, any unicorn hunting today because I don't, you don't need to hear that from me. But uh, the last question I have here is, how do you tell genuine criticism from trolling? And I'll start. Uh, Since we devote a lot of our time and effort to our books, authors can have a tendency to take things a little too seriously and a little too personally when people have negative things to say about our books. And there's a fine line and one that isn't entirely obvious at first between giving a legitimate opinion and delivering a personal attack. Uh, In my experience, and my experience may not be terribly universal, People, people specifically trying to get you upset with their opinions are rare, but they aren't unheard of. Uh, for me, the giveaway when someone is just trying to ruin your day is when they start making determinations about you as a person from your writing. Like I can only recall two emails where somebody was clearly trying to anger me and neither of them worked because they were very transparent. Uh, one of them was flagrant. Uh, you must not know anything about rocket science or you would have written a much better book. Like, oh. This guy is just in a bad mood. Uh, and then like a full email saying that people who don't know science shouldn't be writing science fiction and blah, blah, blah. Uh, the other thought he, he, I, he, the other person thought they were being sly. 
they wrapped a whole message about how they didn't like the plot I came up with with lines like, probably you didn't have any other choice. It takes a lot of imagination to come up with a plot like their idea. Uh, it's fine. We all have our limitations. <laughs> I was like, I see what you're doing there, you, you nut. Um, as I recall, I replied to that guy with, sounds like a great book you have there. You should write it. <laughs> like again, like I, I, it's a phrase I use. I have a handful of standard replies. Um, the first guy, I think I just replied with, I figured I could play fast and loose with the science of a guy uh, with a jetpack on an alien planet. I'm glad you didn't have a problem with the genetically engineered fox slash skunk that was in the second chapter. <laughs> so I can be snide when I realize that the person is not being reasonable. I love that. I laughed so hard when I saw your answers there. <laughs> like, it's, uh, so much snark. <laughs> um, for me, it comes down to how it's presented. There's a difference between this book sucked because you suck as a writer and this book sucked because there wasn't enough closure. Um, do they explain their position? Does it actually make sense? Do they get personal? Um, anytime they get personal, it's not about your book. I also tend to discredit feedback that comes in the form of one or two liners. Like I usually like your books, but this one wasn't as good. And we've mentioned that already. Or I didn't like the magic system you used. And I haven't been writing romance long enough yet to have examples there. <laughs> so um, they might be mini trolls or they might be serious, but if they don't explain logically and without emotions, I'm not emotion. You can't, you can't reach me with, I'm, I'm not emotional. <laughs> um, you have to be logical with me for me to, you can't use exclamation points. Like I hated this book because of this exclamation that won't appeal to me. Um, if they can't explain why they feel that way, I can't actually do anything about it. So I put them in the troll column and move on. Um, now, if a bunch of people start saying the same thing I did, I do, I dig deeper. So these sound like the kind of emails that I just delete these days. <laughs> I used to be like, thanks for the feedback. Now I'm just like, no. I mean, if it's generally, genuinely feels trolly, I, I usually just ignore them or delete them. Um, I feel like these people want a response and they want to fight. And in a way, just ignoring them is probably our, gets them the worst than if you had actually given them the argument they wanted. So I just don't. It's, it'll be probably funny on Facebook on my author page. I try to like or heart everybody's comment you know which uh can be challenging when you get quite a few of them or like on the old posts and stuff but you know the notifications come in you like 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 and that'll be like 80 things i've liked or hearted and there's one i just ignore it so hopefully not hopefully but like you know hey you were the one the 80 people you were the one that didn't get a like although that can backfire if you just happen to miss one you know and probably nobody's even paying any attention besides you but yeah just uh I tend to ignore that stuff I mean it's not that I don't feel it you know I it is upsetting even the trolley comments it sucks but I just I have to you like we talked about rant to your buddies and then do not feed the trolls you know all right well I think that is all we had you know just a scant few things to talk about under this topic do you guys have anything else before we wrap it up Nope, nope. And I'll put the links in. Both of those talks are good. The Man in the Arena one and the Brene Brown one are worth listening to if you're creative and you're feeling the need for like a little uh, wisdom. All right. And in closing, thanks for listening, everyone. You can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. Have a great week. Bye. See y'all later. So long, everybody.